Welcome everybody to the third Market Insights podcast. Who knew we'd actually get to three? Um, thank you for the five listeners that we have. I'm, I'm sure you're enjoying it. This is fantastic to hear. This is the voice of James Sosick, aka Blades Analytic. Um, and we are joined today by uh, our normal team minus one because we have a superstar with us who is behind the scenes for the last two. I'll, uh, I'll allow him to introduce himself. He's pretty much our sleepless vampire. Do you want to introduce yourself, Mr. Ram? Thank you. What what a nice introduction you give me. Um, hi, I am Ram. My Twitter at is quite weird to pronounce, so you can just search Ram Srinivas on Twitter, and you will find me there. I have been part of Market Insights since its inception, you could say, and yeah, I, I, I look at. I look at some data and I also like to watch a lot of football. So that's it. Uh, and, and the and the intro music was from a band that I play in called Project Mishram. By the way, check us out on YouTube and all streaming platforms. So Shameless if plug. you don't mind, I'm done. <laughs> plug. <laughs> Shameless plug, I'm sorry. Uh, on on to Andy, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm still here. I'm, I'm here every week. I'm like a fa- like the furniture now. Uh, yeah, this is me, Andy McGregor at El Pavotti FTPL. As I've said before, it just means the pivot in Spanish. It's not clever. It's not smart. That's definitely not big. Gav, are you still here? Yeah, I'm still here. Uh, so Gavin Miller, pure football. Football is Scottish for football. Um, not as exciting and as sexy as El Pavotti, but it's uh, it's it's real. It's real. I, I think he says a lot about Market Insights that our absolute data scientist guru is also not only a top football scout watcher of League Two football all the way from India, he's also an absolute rock star. Um, that, that pretty much sums up the mishmash of personalities we have that somehow form together to make a cohesive group. Um, and that's quite an interesting kind of segue into today's topic, which is going to be recruitment on a restricted slash low or maybe even no budget um so i think that's that kind of mishmash of personalities and kind of looking a little bit outside the box and being a bit innovative is a it's quite an interesting segue into this topic so i think where we'll kick this off is kind of we work with various clubs who who have various obviously tiers of, of budget available to them some of them have next to no budget um and it brings up some some challenges that we like and, and some that we don't um, but it, it is interesting. It's interesting to see how you can use what we like to think we can do with data and with our scouting insights and bring that into a world where you're quite restricted to try and open out that field. So I think that's interesting because he, he's the superstar and he's, he's not had a chance to speak before. I'm going to leave my dulcet tones here and I'm going to ask kind of Ram firstly, restricted budgets Ram. So you know, examples, uh, we can go through every league, you know, Getafe in La Liga, uh, Burnley in the Premier League are certainly a lower budget. And then obviously kind of down the EFL where you're looking at free transfers or, or nominal fees. Yeah. What what kind of challenges do you think restrictive budgets kind of throw up? Well, um, the first challenge a restrictive budget throws up is immediately you're supposed to get quite creative in the way you're looking for a player because... Um, the kind of player that a lot of teams are going to be competing for to sign, you will not be probably not be able to compete for the same level of player. So then it becomes uh, that kind of opens up the whole wormhole of how do you get creative in recruitment. So there are a lot of things to think about in terms of 
where you want to sign players from. So that definitely changes. For example, um, a championship club that does not have a very high budget probably cannot go for the best players in even the Schweizer Bundesliga if, if you're considering that as a relatively untapped source of players. Even if a club is looking to get slightly creative, you can't, you can't go for the best players playing at a club like Hamburg or Stuttgart. You'd probably have to go for someone uh, lower down. Uh, could be could be Wiesbaden or uh, Osnabrück or uh, these are just examples because they're at the lower end of the table at the moment. But yeah, um, the the bottom line is you have to get creative in terms of players who are who don't, who are probably not um, complete standouts on the data or playing in really good teams or basically anywhere apart from the obvious. So that should that, that there's a lot to cover, wouldn't you say, over this topic? I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Ram. It's about getting creative. I think as as a scout, it's you know it, it's it's probably one. Of, it's probably the two things you have to sort of go up a level. It's very easy to do talent ID where you can pick out the best players, and and then when you are then restricted by a budget, and you're also restricted by what fits style. Obviously, narrows the market massively. I think there's over like eleven thousand players, for example, on White Scout. If you're talking about players for less than you know five hundred k, there's a lot of players there. But then how many of them fit the system? How many of them will play in that league? So it narrows it down. So you have to be creative. And this is obviously why we use data a lot in our insights, is to find those players who would fit the who, who are good players, also fit the league, obviously fit the style, but also fit within the budgets, and you can do all that. And I think that's the sort of next layer of scouting that you have to do when you go into football, is, far, is being able to sort of get creative and find in these players whether, as you say, in the Bundesliga 3 or League 3 Liga, sorry, or they're in the second division of Switzerland, that you've got to be able to find these players. They might be the only player in that league who can play play in the Championship or in, in League 1, for example, but it's just being able to find those players and using the, the data and the video that you have at your disposal and finding out, you know, using your agent contacts to find out whether they fit within budgets. For me, this is something that I think you also need to be able to understand. Uh, what is your your risk and reward what are you willing to sacrifice what are you willing to gamble on um and what is your sort of overall strategy as a team is it purely based on you know survival or is it do you want to gradually build your club up do you want to be able to um be the club that players will want to be the sorry will want to choose your club over another because you can give them the pathway the minutes that they need to to progress so I think there's something in round about having a, a, a good sort of overall structure when you're re- recruiting in a, a, a position like this where you don't maybe have the resource available that others do and, and using the data to really drill into what you need to improve upon in your team. I, th- I think that's probably, well, so smorgasbord of very good points. Um, to kind of uh, expand a little bit on, on you there, Gav, I think that's probably, to, to go back to your original question, one of the biggest challenges is... You work with clubs to build profiles, as we've discussed that you know on the last two podcasts. You, you work with clubs to build profiles that then we can translate into our data and video scouting profiles of what we're looking for. But with a restricted budget, even with innovation, even with out of the box thinking and creativity and expanding your horizon, so you're not just focused on England or England or just France, it it still throws up the challenge that it's highly likely that what as a coaching team or what as a recruitment team your profile is for that striker, that centre mid, that defender, it's probably not out there for the money you have. And if it is out there, 
you probably can't compete, as Ram said quite rightly. You'll find a player, if, you know, he fits your profile. He might even fit your scope, but actually there's 10 teams in for him and he can soon become out of scope because it's a bidding war on his wages if he's free or, you know, the transfer fee goes a little bit higher than what you can afford. So I think that's that's probably the first thing I would say is the biggest challenge is you need to f- probably not just think out of the box in terms of leagues you're signing from, um, not just be constrained by needing domestic players or even constrained by experience. You know, you might need to go younger. You might need to take a project on board. It's it's having the ability to, as a recruitment team, to become innovative in what you're supplying to a coach. So if, if a coach wants that number nine who runs channels and drops off and links play and, and is also a goal threat, maybe you find someone who does, you know, the, the linking player side of it. Maybe you find someone who does work hard in the channels, does press, does hold the ball up well, you know, is a battering ram, but maybe doesn't have the greatest goal threat. And you say, look, this guy does everything you want in the build-up phase, but we're lacking goal threat. Do you think that we can deal with that? Can we, can we bring in threat from other areas? And I think that's what I see as the biggest thing about that. Um, and then I kind of just want to go go back to Ram on that because Ram, just like myself, he watches just about every single EFL game that's ever on. And I think the EFL is what people think of when they, they talk of kind of low budgets, really. That's the, the best example, especially at the moment. That that would be my... So, so, Ram, in terms of kind of that, really, you know, would you expand on that across the EFL? Do you see that? Do you see clubs where you can see they've signed a player and the idea doesn't really match the, the team set up? And what they've done is that they've brought that player in because they think he can be a, a single difference maker. Or do you think the right strategy would be stick to your setup, stick to your profiles and try and bring in just three or four good ones rather than one what you think is a, is a star man? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's um, that's the way to go if a club in the FL is on a slightly more constrained budget because you're, you're much better off spreading your risk across uh, three or four assets in the first place, not just in terms of performance, but maybe resellability. Um, but the thing is, uh, for example, if you look at, well, Brentford is maybe an obvious example, but then you look at a club like Coventry City, maybe. Um, I, I, I always like to look at the fact that they signed uh, McFadzin on a free. And the fact of the matter is, if you looked at his data from the season before, you could tell that he was someone who, or at least it would flag him up, someone who would very clearly fit into their style of playing. So that's that's an example of the type of signing that would exemplify something that shows a smart recruitment strategy, even if it's the loan of Liam Walsh, who, who played uh, uh, just a token number of minutes for, uh, for Bristol City. But in those limited minutes, his data was exceptionally good um and regardless of the fact that he's somewhat known in english youth football circles uh, obviously gardens uh, it warrants a further look and coventry would have probably played on that as someone else who could probably be bought in for cheap and could fit in their style of play and um improve their squad so it doesn't have to be the flashiest signing it doesn't have to be one single player or two single players that you bring in and say that okay, I am I'm putting all of my eggs in this basket, and I, I have paid this much money for them, so I expect them to come good. It's it's about it's about spreading your risk, and it's about spending smartly. It, it could be it could be a smart free transfer that goes under the radar like McFadden, but then ends up benefiting you a lot in the long run. So that's that's definitely the way to go. You cover as many bases as you can. Uh, over multiple signings for cheap. I think, uh, Jay, we we discussed this when 
uh, Peterborough. I mean, <laughs> you may not want to comment on this for reasons, but we discussed this when Peterborough let, let go of Marcus Madison. We discussed how a club with a player as talismanic as that might be able to replace his output. And the answer obviously wasn't with just one player. Um, the the best approach, I mean, obviously Sam Ishmodix came in and he's been in, on red art farm, but maybe the smart thing to do, in my opinion, would have, I mean, if people were making the decision that at Peterborough, they would have probably been looking at maybe signing two players who together would be able to replace the output of Marcus Madison. So it's it's it becomes about the sum of the parts rather than well, you know, just the impact of one player, I guess. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, just to, just to dive in on that, Peter did pretty much what you're actually saying because although Smodux came in as the direct replacement, there was also Jack Taylor who came in from Barnet um, in January and Jack's gone on to be, uh, and yeah. this is not just a bias kicking in, I think Jack's been one of the best essential midfielders post-Christmas in the league. Um, now, obviously, that's a very different position to Marcus Madison and Reese Brown came in on loan as well. And, and all that was made available because of Marcus's wages were gone and the, as an expected, you know, potential windfall at the end of the loan that he's currently at, um, you know, future fees as well built into any deals or anything. So what you've done there is you've released an asset, as you say, and, and rather than replace like for like, and that's one of the things I was going to ask uh, Andy and, and Gav about next is, you know, when you're on a restricted budget and you lose your your star man, if you will, or one of them, um, you, you can't replace like for like often. So what you do is you do the old money ball um, kind of Oakland A's trick. You, you don't look at a like for like because you can't. You look at the output and you look at how you can build that output again. So if it, if you can't afford to miss those goals or, or those you know assists in, in the case of Madison, you bring in uh, you know two or three players who are still within your budget, but actually do different things. But the overall output is the same. And you can't always guarantee that, of course. But what you can do is, you, you can, as you say, you can link a little bit more outside the box um, to just kind of go because you know we don't just want to be on on the EFL side of it. We've got the Premier League as low budgets there as well, as well as abroad. Go to uh, Gav next because uh, I think on restricted budgets, it's fair to say Gav may well be living this every day <laughs> um, up in Scotland. Gav, what I'm interested there is, I think Ram used a great example with Coventry, and they signed a player who you had been touting for some time in Michael Rose. And I think that that was a surprise to people on how well Rose has not only adapted, but performed and also what we deem is his future levels, considering where he came from. And that's not to be disrespectful, but the Scottish Championship, you know, it's not always produced the best players who can adapt. Yes, John McGinn has come from there and a few others, but generally you wouldn't say they go on and play, you know, Championship or, or Premier League football. So, do we do we need to be not, not just more open-minded, but do we also need to scout for when we're on a restricted budget? A lot of the times people are signing clubs, players, sorry, on one-year deals or two-year deals for the here and now. Do we need to be maybe looking at a, a little bit more development sometimes when we're scouting on, on a restricted budget? Absolutely. I think there's there's some good questions in there. Let me, let me speak just briefly on the Scottish market in general. Uh, it is a, a very restricted um you know, recruitment budget, you'll find just about every club will have a net spend of zero um, because most clubs in Scotland don't really make a lot of money because they're only bringing players in on one and two year deals max. And then you're, you know, regurgitating your full squad every 12 months. So it, it can definitely be difficult. I wanted to give just a really quick shout out to Motherwell and what they do in the in the transfer market. They're one of the few clubs in Scotland that I think are quite progressive with their approach. And I know that they do use data and if you look at their 
transfers over the last few years and the players that they've sold, they've, they're one of the few clubs that are actually in profit from selling players. So they brought in Louis Moult for next to nothing, sold him for 500k. Ben Hennigan, who you'll know, Jay, um, brought him in, sold him for 400k. They brought in Cedric Kipre for nothing, sold him for over a million. Um, but not only that, they were also able to develop some of their younger players. And I mean, I don't want to be disrespectful, but I'm amazed that they got 1.75 million for for James Scott. Um, so I just wanted to give just a quick shout to them for for using the tools that are available to to their disposal. Um, and that shows that if you make informed choices to plug your gaps, you will have a better opportunity of success. And I think that's something that you know we're really trying to hit home with, like. You know, like you said, Jay, when you're talking about losing your star player, I think you want to understand what is the the outputs that he gives you, and what outputs can or what outputs can other players give you, whether that's across two or three. Absolutely, I think that's a really good way to look at it. Um, Michael Rose, uh, I think for me, when you looked at his data, even in Scotland, he was really uh, high in the. I, th- I don't know off the top of my head, but I remember seeing you know his forward passes his progressive passes his duels his interceptions and when you watch the video you've seen it all come 360 and all it was all encompassed in his play and I think that's the sort of player where you can feel comfortable that the data is matching the video and that's why you would want to take a chance on someone from the Scottish Championship and that's where you know using the the tools that we have available we we can really zone in into that those untapped markets and find you the players that are you know, doing all the good things that, again, obviously it's system related, though you want it to be a player that fits the system, but absolutely there's there's elements in there. And just finally, on the contracts, it's such a difficult one because on a, a I guess on a, a lower budget, we won't always know how much of that is driven by the player, whether they'll want to sign more than a 12-month contract or an agent. We can obviously make the recommendation based on the player performance, but the actual contractual negotiations that take place this isn't always within the club's control. And I know that in Scotland, very rarely do you find players willing to commit to more than 24 months. And also from the club's perspective, there's a risk attached to it. If you're paying someone you know, a high wage and they don't perform, then you have this overhead that you're carrying for longer than you would want to. So it's a, it's a really difficult one, but that's where I think you would want to use your data around about knowing that the player that you were going to bring in was the right player and it wasn't just off of a recommendation or you know something else you would really want to understand that he was the right player for your system no that's that's really that's really well summed up actually especially about the contractual situation um andy when we talk about restricted budgets i think you know, again, a lot of it falls into kind of lower leagues, if you will, um, where you think of budgets being mainly on free transfers and just wages swallowing it up. But I think it's fair to say when you look around the top leagues, around the, the, the top five of Europe, there's some pretty stark restricted budgets there relatively for the league. If we look at Burnley in the Premier League or Paderborn, for example, in the, the Bundesliga, I think it's like 11 or 12 mil per annum, the wage, uh, the wages there. So it, it's well off the next team. When we're looking at those kind of those top divisions, um, how do you feel that the restricted budget impacts those teams, and how do you feel they could be kind of smartly recruiting or, or smartly scouting to try and bridge that gap, if you will? So if we look at Burnley, there's no denying they're absolutely overperforming every year under Sean in terms of the points return um, and their, their finishing places. But how do you think if they wanted to go to a next level or if they wanted to bridge that gap further, what kind of things do you think they could implement? 
I think the, the best thing about Burnley, I think, is that they understand what they are and they understand the style. Now, obviously, Burnley are restricted by the fact that the Premier League is is probably the, the main league in Europe where by relegation is such a dire consequence. I don't think in any other league people you know, are just playing to stay in the league. I think there's obviously a sporting element to that, but the Premier League is so based around that money that it, it is... Basically, I think Burnley sacrificed probably any. You know, I know they've got some good, good. You know, they've had some good younger players. Obviously, got Dwight McNeil now, but they generally sacrificed trying to buy assets for more buying. You know, more ready now players like, for example, Jay Rodriguez they signed in the summer. So I think Burnley obviously understand that their plight that they they probably would. Like, you know, in, in an ideal world, like to be able to just build a side where they do have younger players they probably could buy from Europe. I know they do scout Europe. They were very interested in Sam DeBerge before he went to Sheffield United. But I think for them, they they they, they have to think short-term because they can't take them risks because that's, that risk would then cost them £120 million. That's, I think that, that's why Burnley is probably slightly different than, say, a Reims in France who... Are quite creative, and they and they've got they trust their system in the fact that they'll buy players from South Africa. They bought Minetti from South Africa, for example, on a free, and they're not as restrictive in terms of their willing to because they believe in their player development. But there's not there's less risk in them taking risks. Whereas for Burnley, there's a big heavy risk in them taking risks. So I understand why they try and they limit the way they spend the money. They try and buy on English players who fit the culture, who fit Sean Dyche's system. And they do it well, really. You know, they understand what they, I think the, the the key for teams who who are recruiting on a budget is they understand the system and they understand how to recruit. You know, you look at you mentioned Getafe before Pepe Bordalas has been there since two thousand sixteen. They recruited well every single year. They got players like Jaime Mata for free from Valladolid. Um, Arambari, who's been you know who's interested in teams around Europe now, he failed the Bordeaux, went back to Uruguay then. Getafe brought him back from Boston River in Uruguay. Now he's one of a sought after midfielder. So it's just a, it's picking up those little bargains or trying and understanding your system. I think that's the key thing. And player development. I think the best teams you recruit on a budget have got the best. Have got really good player development. They, when they buy these players, they believe in their system to develop them and get them up. Whereas I think Burnley, unfortunately, in different situations, they haven't got time to you know you know invest in that player development, if you will. Yeah, I think that's 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 probably a, a spot on answer as, as kind of recruitment consultants. We're uh, we're obviously pushing the scouting angle here in terms of information, but sometimes the answer is in the room, isn't it? Um, you know, you look at Burnley with their, their best player this season. You know, if you say the defensive line and the goalkeeper are a unit, then their best player has probably been Dwight McNeil. And the answer was well within there. You know, it's not always about signing people. Player development is massive. And sometimes you can you can sign those projects and develop them on. I think what you raised there is a really good point, though, and it's one that you know we'll do some listener questions later. But it's one that did come up, but it always comes up, and that's the kind of at what point when you're on a restricted budget can you risk signings? And when we say risk, all signings are a risk, of course they are. But at what point can you take on a bit of a development project or a younger player with the hope that? They either take you on a level or you add some resale value to your squad or, you know, in terms of having a little bit more of a gem, a bargain, or at what point do you need some some almost guaranteed experience? Ram referenced Kyle McFadden for Coventry, who pretty much at League One level is, you know, always going to be top 10, top 15 centre-back at the end of the season. You know, if not better, that, that, that's what he's done for years. You know what you're going to get with him. When we're on a restricted budget, I think there is a, a, a rightfully so a kind of thought process of we we need to be sure what we're doing because we can't just spend our money. And I think post-COVID, I, I think that that is going to be more and more prevalent across many leagues, um, that that need to get it right. 
Um, so you might go for the tried and tra- kind of tried and tested. But when we're looking at the kind of a little bit more gem finding, as you spoke about there with Reams, what kind of ways, without giving up our techniques, what kind of ways can we do it, Ram? You know, in Andy reference there, you can go and pick up players who may have had a failed transfer, for example. So I think, you know, that's something that a lot of teams have done really well. We look at kind of Anguissa who went to Villarreal after that failed move to Fulham. Now, pretty much everyone failed that year at Fulham for a, a whole heap of reasons, but it didn't make them bad players overnight. And I think sometimes transfers are seen a little bit linearly. Um, you know, if a move happens and that player doesn't quite peak or, or hit what they're expected to, or they play in a team that performs poorly as uh, Fulham did, everyone just seems to think they're bad players all of a sudden when they're not. You can't disregard the three years of data prior to that. So is there any other kind of tricks that we can we can use to kind of, maybe on a budget to be creative, not just in our, our ta- you know, in our talent ID, basically, not just saying we're going to sign from different shores or we're going to sign from leagues that are a little bit lesser and, and work on with the coaches. Is there anything we can do outside of that? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, I, I like the fact that you mentioned looking at players who have had failed transfers in the past, because that's a very, very specific sort of market that Norwich City have been looking at, haven't they? I mean, apart from the signing of Sam Callum, who was obviously someone definitely on the rise. Uh, I think every one of their signings lately have been players who have not, whose, whose moves elsewhere or career haven't quite worked out or their careers are being stalled at the moment. And basically, they've identified this niche group of players who represent a low financial risk, but then also have something to prove. And then I'm sure they've done their research on style of play. But yeah, generally speaking, I think when you're talking about these players, it's always safe to have a low financial risk, obviously. But then you want to be sure that these players have the right environment when they come to your club so as to minimize the risk of, well, the move tanking. So obviously, as we have mentioned on this podcast and on the two episodes prior, establishing a link or trying to determine how well said player will fit into a team style of play is probably of paramount importance. Because even if you look at a club like Burnley, they, they, they clearly know what they want. Um, even a club like Sheffield United, um, recent foreign, foreign signings notwithstanding, if, if a club knows what it wants, then it's not that hard to find players who are, well, the less obvious ones, but could still help you um, add value to your squad. But then if you're talking in terms of projects, if you look in the less likely areas, I think uh, the one of one of the really good ways to maybe pick up players who are going under the radar are those who are performing to decent levels on bad teams. I think this is something that you touched on in the previous episode. I, I, I always like to look for players this way to contextualize maybe their individual performances um, with the way their team has been performing on the whole. So if we looked at the if we looked at the profile of someone playing in the relegation places of uh, Ligue 2, um, like Stefan Diara, who plays for Le Mans, sorry, I probably butchered that pronunciation. Um, his numbers are very, very good for someone playing in a team of that stature. And that probably explains why a club like Brighton or Everton or Newcastle have been even reportedly linked to him because, well, uh, uh, it 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 may end up costing 
I mean, it's probably not going to be uh, something 500, 600k transfer. It's probably going to be like a 1.5, 2 million, 3 million, whatever. But fact of the matter is, for those teams, this represents a very low financial risk. But they know that there's definitely something to work with there because that's a player performing well on a bad team and probably not the most obvious target, but someone worth taking a punt on if you feel he can fit into your system, into your club ethos. So, yeah, I think one, knowing what you want to recruit is very important. And two, um, it's about looking in the right areas and probably not the areas that everyone else is looking at, like the aforementioned example. So, yeah. Nice, nice, nice finish there, Ralph. <laughs> so yeah, no, that's that's that's. I <laughs> think that's a, a, no, that's a brilliant point. It's something that we 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 spoke on before. Um, definitely, that kind of look. Not saying you're only going to look at teams not performing well, but certainly, you know, if you're in a market and you see a player and they're performing for a team that's in the top three, even of a of a, a European minor league, if you will, even of a, an Austrian first or second division, the odds are a lot of people are watching them, aren't they? Um, so absolutely that's something um, and Andy is there anything else while we're on that because I think this is a good question actually and it's something that the kind of listeners both professionally and, and non-professionally are probably interested in really which is how, how do we look for those players you know on those restricted budgets what other methods can we use so we spoke about kind of poor teams uh, we spoke about a little bit more I wouldn't say obscure leagues but maybe a little bit more innovative thinking in the leagues that we're looking at the tiers of the leagues that we're looking at is there anything else that you personally or that you've seen we at market do well i think i think it's just being open-minded really i think i think when you look at you know especially in the efl a lot of teams don't recruit in in, in foreign leagues and i think the best thing for teams to do and obviously the, what we do is we don't place barriers on ourselves i think that we look beyond the barriers if you will and i think there's there's a there's a there's a in english football british football especially there tends to be inbuilt biases against certain markets certain leagues and i think if you are on a budget you have to i know this sounds crazy because you're also on a budget you have to invest in other areas so investing widen your network even if that's just contacts with agents in different countries or maybe you know obviously sort of scouts who lives in another country can give you information why or even us obviously <laughs> but you know it finds a note finding that edge really is, is going to help you because if you're let's say an EFL club and you look at a smaller smaller market and you're looking for say we'll go to the small leagues a striker for, for, for a striker on a budget's very difficult so why not look at other markets that aren't well Scot- Scottish second division championship sorry or even you know Norway Sweden wherever there's obviously a history of players coming over from these leagues and doing well in England it doesn't mean because you're looking a bit, you know. There's always there's always bargains there. So I think the clubs have to be more wider thinking, and obviously we can we can help with that. You know, I'm not going to lie, that's what we do. But I think that's what clubs need to do is we'll be more open minded, really, to that. There's other ways of you know, if you're on a budget, widen the market that you're shopping, and rather than sort of keeping it within a set country or set two or three countries, really. Can I just quickly jump in on that one? I th- I think that there's. Uh, a really specific example I was thinking about with the, the striker market and again I don't want to just focus on the Scottish market but uh, 12 months ago Lawrence Shankland was available on a free transfer from Air United and he was scoring goals for fun in, in the Scottish Championship with Air who were a, a good enough team obviously we already mentioned that's where Michael Rose came from but Shankland's went on to Dundee United this season um, still in the Scottish Championship but is now a Scottish international and you're probably looking at, uh, if someone wanted to purchase them now, you're looking at what a, mi- a minimum couple of million pounds for a player that was available on a free 
12 months ago. And I know you can have your reservations, but again, I think if if you were to look into the performance of the player and, and if it fit the profile that you needed, then that that's an example of someone where if a, a club does have a, a broader net and a more open mind to how they approach things, they can get the the outputs and the assets that they want. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm just, I'm just going to expand on what Andy said um, because I think Andy raised a, a, a brilliant point, really, which is I think we we absolutely accept that, for example, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the EFL, but whatever league you're working with a club in or whatever league you're, you know, unprofessionally, just whatever on your social media account, whatever whatever league you focus on, if you're saying a player should come to that league, you're obviously looking at the league adaptation. You're looking at, is are they physical enough? Are they fast enough, intense enough, technically enough, if it's Holland, for example. And I think that whilst that's absolutely a massive consideration in it, and we've touched on that in the previous two pods, it's a huge part of it. You also need to get rid of any predetermined bias or barriers you have. Um, and that's something we're really good at, I feel. We absolutely understand that when we're recruiting for EFL teams, that there is a physicality, that there is an, you know, an athleticism and an intensity there that might not be in other leagues. Um, but we absolutely understand that if the individual player we're suggesting can do that, that then they should be, you know, within all reason, fine. There's nothing to say that certain leagues can't come into the EFL that... We've seen it in the championship, clearly, because there's probably a little bit more money in the scouting networks to do it. But I think when you look at the Brentford story, outside of the data analytical side of what they bought, they just went and bought from markets that no one else was looking in within their leagues. I think that's ultimately, you know, you can boil it down to that. Yeah, they they could minimise the risks because they had the expertise and data analysis to ensure they were signing good, very good players from those leagues. But ultimately, they they went to a market that no one was signing from, so the value was there. And you can look to create value through data and efficiency through data and success through data. But if you're signing, as Andy says, from a league where everyone else is looking already or as Ram touched on, there's competition, you're not going to create value. You're not going to get money for your budget or bang for your buck. So you have to remove a little bit of barriers. We're not saying sign 11 French or German kids. We're simply saying that for certain areas, like a striker, they're gold dust. And, and as I touched on earlier, if you're not happy to sacrifice that goal threat for having a little bit more physicality or a hold-up player or you just want the aerial threat, you're not bothered about the running in behind, maybe domestic is, is okay. But if you're not happy with that, if you want a little bit more of a rounded all-over package, maybe you need to broaden your horizons a little bit. And I think the first, I mean, post-COVID, who knows what's going to happen with, with the EFL full stop, never mind the transfer window. But I, I honestly felt before that the first club that kind of expanded to different leagues in League One would see a massive return on their success if they did it right. I still believe that that could be the case um, because I don't think there's going to be much money in domestically signing players because there's, there's, the competition is going to be so rife now for signing the better players, even within salary caps if they're introduced. So I just think that was a really good point by Andy in terms of not having that, that predetermined bias. I'd just like to um, add to that. So just, just, well, just before you move on, I'd just like, like you know, you look at Atalanta, for example. Atalanta, you know, obviously probably the prime example of recruiting to a budget in Europe and obviously doing it really well because of the player development. But they've... Italy's probably is a, is a physical league, but they've bought a lot of players from places like Holland. They bought Gosens from Holland. They bought Eightball from Holland. Uh, they've just bought Sisbora from Holland. They've bought from Bulgaria. They are not afraid to sign players that they think fit their system, fit their culture. And I think that's what British clubs need to do because you need to take, uh, or not just British clubs, any clubs really, they need to have, take away, as you say, those barriers because there's players in those leagues, whether you think the, whether you think the league isn't good enough or whatever, you can, you can, you can. What's the word? Adapt over here. I just like the thought I mentioned Atalanta because I like to get them in anyway. 
Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a brilliant point. That's, that's another brilliant point. It's absolutely right. Um, so I think kind of we've covered the majority of that. And I think one only the only other tool kind of I would add that you could use, you know, especially if you have some money but are restricted like a Burnley or, or like a championship team, is Ram said, you know, you can look at the poor teams, but definitely relegated teams as well. You know, relegated teams can have good players just because they're on a relegated side. We touched on Anguissa and I think in the, in the championship this year, I would, you know, I'd be confident that if the league ended today, that there's that that bottom three, there's some very good talents there that could play for a top 10 championship side. Um, And I think, you know, if you look at the contract years, you know, another thing that you can do is look at not only contract expiries and pre-contracts, so guys who are expiring in the summer, you can also look at the ones who've only got one year left. You know, maybe, for example, if they have a, a contract expiry of 2021 right now, you can look at those guys because those clubs have a call to make. Um, you know, yes, you can't sign them on the free. So if you have no transfer budget, you, you're not in that race. But if you are a club that has a very small transfer budget, then those 2021 guys, you, you can look at convincing that club because if you put some onus on that club and they are a smaller club, as Ram touched on, they've got a choice. Do they do they accept that money right now or do they potentially lose that player for free in, in 12, 18 months' time? So I think there, there are a couple of things that clubs can be a little bit more proactive on and smarter on. I think Bayern Munich, I know they're a big club, so they're not a restricted budget, but they pick up very good players on free transfers. Admittedly, they're the bully boys in Germany, but because they look at that, they have that out, you know, that oomph to be able to go and say to someone who's expiring in 2021, don't sign that deal, sign for us. Appreciate not all clubs can do that, but I think a lot more clubs can be a lot more active in their scouting, not just for the here and now, they can look to the future and actually plan a bit of a, a squad churn and a bit of squad build over. I think probably we, we've touched on a lot there. Um, what I want to do is look at some taste cases. And I think Burnley and Atalanta have been raised already, um, which is really good. So if we were to say that, for example, we've spoken about Burnley, um, I don't want to touch on pretty much Sheffield United because I'm a Sheffield United fan. I think we should avoid the fan ones if we can. If we were a mythical, you know, any Premier League team coming into that league, you know, with a, a bottom three, bottom four budget, what kind of things can, could we do? Is there anything that we could do that we've not spoke about in terms of our scouting, our, our kind of recruitment basis? We spoke a little bit there, Ram, about, about the data analysis that we can incorporate. Is there other things that we can do? Is there any leagues that we can look at that aren't often looked at? Sure. If if you're a Premier League team, uh, you you probably want to look at either, well, teams in... the Your first choices, obviously, look at teams in the top five divisions that no one looks at. But then you might want to look outside that scope a little bit and maybe look at a country like Austria. Sure, um, players usually don't come from there directly to the Premier League. But then if you look at deals like Southampton buying Sadio Mane, which is, which is pretty genius, um, or even Belgium, then it's basically touching upon the principle of buying players who are standouts in well, minor European leagues according to a Premier League scale, but may have the physical tools to adapt to the league. So, I mean, obviously, I think that physical adaptation, as you said, uh, depends on a case-by-case basis. Uh, it, I, obviously, there are some trends that pass over from league to league and some don't translate very well. But as long as you're meticulous about the way you're assessing a player's physicality and not um, blanketing them under the influence that their league may exert, then there are a lot of bargains to be found out there, as some clubs have shown us already in recent years in the Premier League. 
I'd, I'd like to add, you know, if you, I think the key when you're one of those sides who are, you know, just coming up into the league maybe or in the relegated type of team who's up for relegation, just look at Norwich or, you know, Jay, actually, I know you don't want to mention them, but Sheffield United is a prime example. In the summer, they spent money on players who, if they got relegated again, could go out and go back and perform in the championship who probably weren't weighing on large wages or they would have had kickers in the contract that would have took the wages down. And when January comes and Sheffield United are in a good place, you see the recruitment change. They then obviously looked at Sander Burge and uh, Red Sauce as well as Nip from Bayer Leverkusen. And I think that's an example of the foresight that they need to do is if you are going to buy when you're in the Premier League, assign players who, you think, who, could, who obviously play in the Premier League or can develop while you're in the Premier League, but also if you go back down, they can also play those those you know those forty six games in the championship. I, I think that's the key foresight with teams. I think Norwich have done it well. You know they didn't invest too much in the summer. You know they bought in a lot of players on, on freeze like Dermich and people like that. Who can, you know who, you know flyers really. But I think what they've done is smartly. They've looked at it and I think they've already signed Sonani and, and Sebastian Soto for when they go back down to the championship. Is they've used the Premier League money obviously to keep the squad the, the squad intact for the season, but they've also looked at. They've also planned to go back down. I think that's what Premier League clubs, when they come up, do. Is obviously not everyone's going to be Aston Villa, who obviously have got financial perils if they go back down and they have to spend. I think there's going to be that foresight. So when they're buying players, they have to understand they're buying for the Premier League, but they're also possibly buying to go back to the Championship. Yeah, that's that, that's a that's a great point. As I say, I, I try and take out the bias by not referring to Sheffield United, but that, I think that's a, you've you've touched you know kind of exactly what we did, um, and I think what. I think Bournemouth probably laid that 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 blueprint down. Um, you know, they they were very specific. They invested in a lot of strikers, uh, fast, strong, mobile strikers. When you look at Wilson, Afobe didn't really quite cut it, but Afobe as well. Josh King, um, obviously, Lee Smoothie who didn't quite cut it, but he, he's playing well for Sheffield United at the minute. They made sure that they had a, a specific strategy, as we spoke about. The one thing you must do if you're on a, a restricted budget in your league. And again, just to touch on, I know we're talking about Premier League here, but I think it's fair to say there are certain teams that are restricted within their league compared to others. You know, this isn't just about teams with with, with bottomless, you know, literally no money whatsoever. Um, and I think it's fair to say you need that clear strategy of what you're doing and you need to plan for that next 12 months after, especially if it's a Premier League or you're a newly promoted team. You need players who add value. Um, in both leagues, so who potentially can grow into a Premier League player or a Championship player, but also if you get relegated and the worst happens, you can either sell for value or you can go back down and, and, and at least perform to a, a kind of top six level in the, in the league below. Um, Gav, just because we are kind of, me and you specifically, and Ram obviously watches a lot, we do kind of follow teams that do have literally no budget whatsoever. Let me ask you about loans because Andy touched on a, a couple there in terms of what Sheffield United brought in with, with Retsos and, and Zivkovic in January. Do we think that one of restricted budget Loans are always going to be in football. I think it's fair to say, especially with the squad building that the top division sides are able to do, um, the monopoly that Celtic and Rangers have in Scotland on the, on the youth players as well. Do we think that loans are generally good? Or, you know, yes, it's a short-term fix that might be required, but is it a good short-term fix? Or do we think that actually it might be better spent to look at developing internally or, or maybe just sitting on that for a season and trying to increase our scouting to find better players for us in the long term. What do we think about loans, really? So I think there's a number of ways that you can approach this question. I think there's not a a, a blanket answer that's right. I think it depends on what your club's strategy is and how you plan on implementing that strategy for the development of your club and then aligning that to what your goals are. And that might sound like a, a little bit of jargon, but 
I think you really need to be clear on why you're loaning a player in. Is it because you you must stay in the league that you're in, as as obviously Andy was mentioning previously, or is it because you have a short term gap, for example, a player that's injured, and the loan is the right thing to do because you know that when your your player comes back from his injury that you then have your key asset back and you don't need to worry about the, the contractual obligations to a player on loan. My personal feeling is that I think that a loan is it's the short-term answer and it's not addressing your problem the way that you should. I think that you want to be able to use that resource effectively. You want to be able to, you know, if you have to take the hit short-term and say, right, okay, this, this season we're not going to bring in the next player because we're going to, invest the money that we would have on a loan on our scouting department, our data analysis department, so that in 24 months' time, we're going to have a squad that's in the place that we need it to be rather than focusing in on where are we right now. But that obviously, again, is, is needs to be aligned to where your team is and what your, your actual goal and strategy is. But there can also be things where a loan is absolutely the right thing to do. So um, obviously... You know, there's there's clubs where you will just be so desperate and that you can't afford the risk of bringing in someone on a two or three year contract. And um, depending on when you're you're shopping, if it's in the January window, we know that that can be difficult. Um, and you you might have to pay a bigger premium. Whereas if you get the loan that can do the similar thing for you, if the if again you're referring to the data points and and looking at the outputs of the individual, if the player that you're having to spend two or three million on versus a player that you're having to bring in on a loan is the same. Can you reduce that sh- that risk for yourself by loaning in the player delivering the same sort of output? Yeah, that's 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 probably a very fair uh, no answer in the overall scheme. I think they're 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 a very individualistic thing, uh, individualistic thing, aren't they? Loans. So some clubs probably rely on them to fill gaps in squads, but I think overall, um, you know, we would say as a strategy, it's not always the, the the first port of call to go down. Just conscious that we want to get in. So we've had some great listening questions actually, so want to want to get those in. So attacking centre back, uh, who I know is uh, JP Quinn, um, who does a brilliant introduction uh, analysis with R, of course, the programming language R. For anyone who is interested in, in using programming languages to kind of produce data analysis or data visualizations, hit him up. It's, it's a really good basic course. Um, he asked us about the kind of on a restricted budget, what, and it touched on a lot of what we spoke about. Really, what, what do we do in terms of the the balance between the here and now? We need someone for the here and now. The Kyle McFad's an example, or the long term development. And I'm just going to quickly kind of go for some quick fire answers here. And my main one would be, other than it being club specific, I think you can be clever as a club, depending on what your aim is. Um, I think I always think of Oxford, and I think Ram will probably know what I'm going to say here, which is. The past few years, they, they've they not had a big budget, but they've been so clever in their recruitment that they've built a side now, which after a few years worth of development, admittedly, it's it's you know it's not been the case fully um, for the whole time, but they've now built a side which is full of assets worth a lot more than what they've outlaid. It's also full of very good players for the league they're in, as you can tell by their league position and form um, before the break. So I think Oxford are a really good example of someone who said, we're not going to we're not going to build for the now. We're not just going to throw our budget at two or three free transfers or, or nearing 30 years old who are going to take us up or take us to the top six and we'll, we'll try and earn it that way. They've actually had a bit of a plan, you know, a two, three-year, five-year plan even to get in the championship. And that's that's kind of almost paying dividends for them now, if not is paying dividends. So I think I, I kind of like the example of, of 
a team using their budget a little bit more creatively and saying we, we, we don't have the budget to be a top six team in one year. But if we plan well for three years, then we do have the budget to be a sustainable top six team and maybe even go up. So I think that's a very clever way of doing it, but it, it obviously doesn't always suit every club. Any any other quick thoughts on that, guys, in terms of the, the balance between on a restricted budget, signing for the here and now and signing for the development side? I think another club that does this. Okay, no, go on, No, no, after Okay. Uh, no, I, I was just going to make a, just a quick a quick point. on it. Again, as you said, Jay, it does, there's a lot of variables. It depends on which league you're in, what teams you're in. I think the, the best way to look at it is, I think, unfortunately, you know, I'll, I'll use the Championship as an example here. Everything's about getting to the Premier League, so generally you only try and buy it. You don't think of the down the line, the foresight of buying those type of players in terms of building for the future because everything's about making the Premier League and getting that money. But I think that there's a way to build on the fly, like, like you said with Oxford. There's a way of getting players who are ready to play now, but in a year or two's time, they will be even better and you'll be able to go up the league. So there's there's different there's different levels of risk, I guess. And I think you can buy players who can keep you, say you're a you know, bottom half team. There's players you can buy who can keep you in the league. But within two years, those players will be good enough to maybe take you up out of the league. So the, I suppose it's buying that right that right player who fits the both the here and now and the future goals as well. I think you've got to be able to balance that. I think just one final quick point on this from me, Jay. It was something you mentioned earlier that really resonated with me was round about knowing what was in the room, what was already available, what does your academy look like, what are the youth prospects? So if you're planning for two, three years' time, do you have a group of players that, you know, if given the right pathway in the right minutes, that you don't need to spend the money uh, on a on a striker, for example, if you're confident that one of your, you know, your younger kids, if if he's got the the capabilities and the and the you know the 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 opportunity to develop, then you don't need to put yourself in a position if your your strategy and your goal isn't based on the here and now. That's absolutely spot on. I, I just want to, I think, because we're on the EFL, I just want to touch on one more team very quickly, um, which is Preston. Um, and Preston never gets spoken about in terms of smart recruitment until you actually talk specifically about Preston and Alex Neal and the rest of the kind of recruitment setup they have there. But they don't always produce you know, the, the best academy players at Preston. Certainly some have come out, but not always it's the, it's the best academy players. So what they've done is they've learned that because of the EPP programme in the Premier League and where Preston are situated, they're not always going to get the best academy players because frankly, it's in that Northwest region and, you know, there's much bigger clubs there in the Premier League with the cities and the Uniteds and others that, that can probably take those players earlier. So, Preston do a really smart thing where they recruit from the EFL and they actually recruit quite early as well from the EFL. So they're not scared to go to League Two. They took Tom Barkhusen um, from Morecambe. They took Jaden Stockley from Exeter. Now, Stockley's not been a, a, you know, a roaring success, but he's contributed. They do it all the time um, where they take players from League Two, League One. They took Tom Bayliss from Coventry. Admittedly, that was Free a Tom Bayliss, please. Yes, free Tom Bayliss. Yeah, we love Tom Bayliss, don't we, Ralph? But to be fair to them, you know, they, they've got a system that's working, so I can understand. But yeah, we do we do want to see Tom playing football. But it, it's they have a, such a clear, clever strategy. And I think that's the key what thing message that we're always trying to get in our pods, is if you have a strategy that's coherent and that's consistent, you can definitely catch up with competition that are richer, but not as efficient. Sorry, Andy. What were you going to add to anything there? Yes, yeah, sorry, but I, I was just I, what Gav said that I, I, you know I wanted to pull up the prime a great prime example of that in PSV Eindhoven under Marcel Brands. Obviously, I know a lot about Marcel Brands being the Everton director of football. But what he did, what, that, the planning that Gav was talking about was key at PSV. If you look at what he did, is he got he, he readied his academy players and already bought players in to develop over a period of time. So when your big wine, when your Lozano's, when your Diongs left. 
your Cody Gakpos, your uh, Mohamed Hatterans, and your Daniel Marlins were ready to step into that first team. I think that foresight is really key because you, you, you're planning each stage of each year. So you look at your academy and you say, in two years' time, this group of players will be ready for these positions. I can then look to sell those players and move them on. You know, I think that's what clubs should do more. Yeah, that's that's definitely a great point. I think that's you know it's one thing that we've certainly started building with our kind of UEFA yeah, youth league model um, that Matt Lawrence and he's going to talk about that. We'll, we'll quickly give a, a brief overview of what next week's topic is, and, and Matt will be on next week to talk about that. Uh, and basically, that you know that ability to recruit very early academy age, which is obviously not something we're involved in, but even up to eighteen, nineteen, can you go and pick up players who have shown at, at the youth league that they have the talent and ability in, in their data and their performances? For some unknown reason, they've not made that breakthrough as well. I think clever clubs can do that and pick up players that maybe have dropped out of the the big teams, if you will. We've seen retained and released lists come out in the last couple of days. Some some very good young players have been released from from quite big Premier League teams. And if I was a clever club in the EFL, I'd certainly be looking at those those players. Um, just to move on to another question, guys, and it's one we have touched on, but just to kind of get a very short summary. Andy Watson asked us, is it actually realistic for an EFL club? Uh, and I think because the championship do do it, let's say League One, for example, is it actually realistic that a League One club or even in Scotland, Gav, you know, lower rungs of the Prem or the championship for them to go and sign a player from from a foreign market? Is it something that's actually realistic and that we'd advise? Yeah, I think this is something that Andy mentioned on earlier about, you know, having a broadened horizons on how you're going to approach it. And, you know, if you can cast your net as, as far as possible, and obviously that's where, you know, using someone like us, that's where you can have the benefits uh, of what we can bring to the table. And But I do think generally, yes, you, you should. I think that's where you probably see a, a better value, not just in terms of what your transfer fee, but even what your weekly wage comparison would be, what your agent fee is likely to be. I think you're, you're going to find there's there's more there's more value for you to to go after the more that you approach the international market. But you ha- you do have to have the, the facilities to do that. And if you don't have the facilities to do it, you need to think of how can you you have that um, scope to to look broader than what's in front of you right now. I, I would say that, yes, you can. I'll, I'll be quick on this. If you look at, I know Roberto Martinez is Spanish, but Swansea, 2007, had Orlandini, they had Angel Rangel, who had a lot of appearances for the side, and Sanky and Bars, who probably wasn't as successful as the other two. But I suppose it's how you can fit, if you believe you can fit them into the culture and make them feel welcome, then yes, I would say that you, there, is, there is a market for those international players to come to League One, League Two. I think there's certain clubs in the past who've shown that it's possible, and I think that's a market that needs to be tapped again, really. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm completely of agreement, Andy. I, I think it's absolutely yes, it's realistic, and yes, it's something should, clubs should be doing. Um, I, I love how you've gone back and referenced, you know, serious examples of the past when when foreign recruitment was quite rare, even in the the championship. Because again, bias, but as a Sheffield United fan, we had Jan Fjortoft, you know, who was you know a Norwegian striker, who's absolutely unreal. Um, unfortunately, we sold Jan on the on the last day of a deadline window when we would have gone up because <laughs> he was scoring goals left, right, and centre, but. It's it's certainly so it's been proven. I just think it's been proven. I really do. I, I think especially certain markets you touched on, you know, certain if you're sure on certain French players, definitely the Scandinavian market. I mean, how many how many good Norwegian players have come to the Championship and Premier League and just absolutely smashed it? Morton Gamps, Pedersen, Breda Hangeland. You know, these players have done really, really well. Even the players that haven't quite hit the massive heights, um, you know, Stefan Everson and players like that, they've still contributed lots of minutes, uh, you know, at a high level. So 
I just think it, there's there's a proven route there. We're certainly not suggesting you sign your whole team from those leagues. But I do think that as long as you're cohesive in what you're doing and it, it's an actual strategy that the recruitment department have done, it's not agent-led. And what I mean by that is it's not you know two or three agents pushing onto an owner. It's actually you've gone out and targeted these players because you've done your due diligence and you've met the player or you've spoken and done the background checks. I see absolutely no reason, as Gav touched on, why you cannot get that value because it's there. It is there. The wage disparity is absolutely massive from certain leagues. Even in League One to abroad, there is such a wage disparity. Any, any last uh, thoughts on that one, Ram, and then we'll go into a last question? No, I agree with you. It's, I mean, at the end of the day, it's about finding value and what uh, fits your squad best. You may, not, you may not depend on these places to find an absolute superstar, but as you said, um, uh, um, Martin Gamps Pedersen was a pretty good example. It's about, he, I mean, he obviously turned out to be iconic for Blackburn, but it's, it's just about finding someone who can, I mean, if, it depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for someone who can come in and, give you a solid shift for one or two seasons and then you can sell them on um if you're if you're buying it at if you're buying such a player at a low price and then eventually either selling at buying price or even a small profit then ultimately you you fulfilled your job and you've made your own life easier by um minimizing your risk and getting the maximum out, output out of that player and basically you've been smart in your dealing so definitely it's um f- finding value is the name of the game over there so you needn't restrict yourself. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's well summed up. But we'll just take one final question because it's quite pertinent to, to market insights, actually. Um, Dan Weston asked, and it's probably pertinent to the current time as well, which is, you know, not only the current economic situation, but the general economics of especially the EFL, which we know are, are extremely precarious and, and built on quicksand in many cases. What is the value to clubs to actually hire if they don't have the resource internally, what is the value of them of actually hiring a, a recruitment consultancy or a data company um, to come in with them and work on, on, on targeted recruitment and trying to find market efficiencies and trying to find value in the market? What is the actual value to that compared to, for example, paying wages to, to, to a full squad of players and basing it on, on their own internal scouts or agent recommendations? And I'll, you know, I'll add my own view at the end, but so some stats that I asked Ram to, to look at previous to this is, is kind of average wages of the championship in League One, for example. So the, the average wage in the championship, I think, what do we say, Ram, about £8,600 per week? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And then League One, about two and a half grand per week. Yep. According to Football, football Manager, anyway. That's, and, and that's as good as resources, any Ram, as we found, right? Yep. <laughs> so there's a trick of the trade. Um, but yeah, you know, when you hear those values, and we we won't discuss us specifically. We'll, we'll talk in broader terms because it's not a sales pod. This it's a football pod. But if we look at those values that clubs are paying out across the board, they are average wages. So some a lot less, some a lot more. Do we think that clubs are really getting value for money, or do we think that by not paying one player that average wage for their year, they could bring in a, a recruitment consultant, expert company, or a data analysis expert company that could actually help them? to find value in the market. What's what's our thoughts on this in general, guys? Well, I, I made the three-point sales pitch here, actually, so I'm not going to do the, the three-point sales pitch. But what I, what, I, what, I, what I will say is, no, there is, there is value. You know, you're talking about that, about that weekly, that you know, over a year, that weekly wage or that monthly wage over a year. Obviously, you know, we... we <laughs> 
a company like us, I'll use this as an example because actually I don't know the individual ins and outs of what other companies do. I know some names, I'm not going to mention them obviously, but I know some, I don't know what the ins and outs of what they do. But if you think about it, what there's, there's different levels of what we what we can help clubs do. Obviously in this time when there's an economic you know, stranglehold on, on, on clubs, you don't want to be making mistakes. And I think what market insights as well is obviously expanding your, you know, your knowledge of markets and you know, adding a level of scout because we've got you know, eight or nine people who scout for us. We're a level of quality assurance for owners, chief executives, directors of football and heads of recruitment. Of, 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 they're looking to buy a player, or looking to you know looking to you know buy a group of players. We can be that sound and board, and we can look at our you know our metrics, our data. We can do we can do scout reports on them for them. We add another layer of quality assurance to ensure that they're making the right decisions. And I think clubs. I think when people, the certain clubs, obviously within England or within the, within Britain, who heavily rely on agent recommendations, and obviously you know, agents not you know and are all bad, you know, and some great agents, but obviously there's some level of bias to their recommendations. And if you know what we can do is we can have a level of unbiased quality assurance and the fact that we are going to be get, you know we are going to be helping you find the value for money and finding the right players for your clubs and I think that's I think that's where our value comes in it's not just obviously we obviously if you're a league one club or your championship club and have no European or world scouting we can obviously expand those markets for you massively but I think the value in us is making is, is, is adding insight market insights of course adding insight in recruitment solutions we, we provide those solutions and we provide that quite a level of quality assurance that you need kind of wraps up our restricted budget pod thank you very much for listening um next week i'll just do a small plug we have a, a specialist pod on on wonder kids um so for all you football manager players out there which i think we all started on probably a topic you're going to want to listen to we're going to talk about real life wonder kids how we can identify them how we can identify them early so that you you know they're not away at barcelona or real madrid you might have a chance if you're a premier league club of the smaller rungs to get them or of course, you know, an Austrian Premier League or a Bundesliga club. And we're going to talk a little bit about what models you can bring to that, about what data is available. And if data is not available, what can you do? We we have the experts on. Um, the the Piv is an absolute expert in, in scouting young guys. Matt's a, a model expert for UEFA League data and Ram's done a lot as well. So it's going to be a very enjoyable pod. So please do um, share and subscribe and, and get anyone who's interested in this type of thing to, to give it a listen. Um, I'll let the guys say anything. Any final words, guys? No, I think it's, I think we've made some good points on this part, and I think next week it'll be interesting. One of the kids, obviously, you know, the football manager aspect of it. So I'm looking forward to that. Gav Ram, any, anything to add finally? Just for me, quickly, is thank you to everyone that's listening. And just from a complete selfish point of view, if you've enjoyed the podcast, if you can give it a, a rating, a like, a share, all that good stuff, as it does help it, us grow and and it's uh, helps us reach different markets and different types of people that might be interested in it. So we are still new in the podcasting world, even so I would like to say we're fairly established in the Twitter sphere. Um, but in the podcast world, I think it, it would still help us grow if you can you know, leave a review or, or, or a, a rating, that would be great. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, uh, I, I'm, it's, I, I can speak for the four of us, I suppose, when I say this podcast has been quite fun. And for me, um, I, I listened back to the previous two episodes, um, not knowing what had happened within them, because obviously I wasn't present in the recording. So I listened um, the same time they dropped on the streaming platforms and everything. And it was it was very enjoyable, um, objectively speaking, um, not the fact that you guys are my colleagues, notwithstanding, it was it was quite enjoyable for me to listen, and it was just um, as much fun recording today. So, 
hopefully um you uh dear listener are <laughs> have enjoyed listening to this podcast just as much and hopefully um you will be back next week when we're talking about wonder kids and haven't been scared off for good by my questionable debut appearance so thank you <laughs> I, I think I, I think i think you'll make the second appearance ram we'll give you another run don't worry about that that was a that, that was a steady performance there was highlights extend the trial for a second week yeah yeah we'll extend the trial I'm not quite sure about paying you yet we're, we're on a restricted <laughs> budget ram so we can't talk, can't take risks um Love that. <laughs> what, what i would think absolutely subscribe share um thank you very much for listening all three of you that are still with us and obviously if you know if you do support a club and you, and you do think your club would be interested in hearing this then then feel free to tag them in we're absolutely open to talking to anyone we speak to clubs all the time so yep yeah, a bit of free publicity for us and for you guys as well tag tag your club in and, and try and share the share the love a little bit around there so thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week guys <laughs> <laughs>